Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Everybody, I want to welcome you once again to the Deepen Podcast. I'm Jonathan Vinke, joined once again by Pastor Ryan Britt and, of course, Pastor Joby Martin. Um, this has been an amazing series, and I was... Uh, I've, I've gotten some awesome feedback for this podcast specifically. Like people I see are like, "You do, you're the podcast guy." Uh, and this one uh, lady I, I talked to the other day said, um, "She was like, man, I just love that you're getting into the content and everything." But this was a cool, a cool thing she said. She said, "I can just really tell you guys really love each other." I thought that was cool. We do. I do love you guys for sure. Um, have y'all gotten any good feedback or had any favorite parts for kind of this thing that we've done? Much good feedback, mm-hmm. which is great. I think the relaxed f- flow of the content, you know, and just it's a different medium than preaching a sermon for, you know, 45 minutes or 55 minutes or 65 minutes. It's different, you mm-hmm. know. It's, We're so 67. I, you have the record. I do have the record. I came close the other night. You did. I was pulling for you. But, um, I have the record for longest and shortest, 67 and 27. Mm. 27 was followed by 20 minutes of communion, though, so we ate up the time. Don't, don't. But anyway, Here's I, the thing it's been great. don't see, though. See, they don't see that we do this, um, not so much post-sermon, but there's this creative process. I'm telling you guys something that you're a part of, but mm-hmm. for the folks listening or whatever, months and months before the series, I bring the, here's what I'm teaching, here's the text. All there's like what twenty five people in the room, thirty people sure. in the room, and we do Bible study for like hours and hours and hours, and we we have a version of this kind of talk, just wrestling with the scriptures. So mm-hmm. we do these kind of talks often, mm-hmm. you know, because it starts with us. So yeah, yeah. So we sort of resolve before we ever did this that whether it was helpful or not, we're kind of into it. So yeah. I'm glad it's also helpful for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we're doing it, and uh, this is not the last time we'll do it. We're going to continue to do podcasts. The next season is going to be around our next series, If the Tomb is Empty, mm-hmm. which conveniently is is the same title as a book that you just wrote. So That's right. Everybody should check that out. It's awesome. And, uh, Can I just brag on my man for a minute? Yes. And just really on God, mm-hmm. through using my man, that congrats on making the USA Today bestseller list last week. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, with the release of If the Tomb is Empty, mm-hmm. which totally is I, – I encourage everybody to get the book before the series or in the early first week of the series mm-hmm. and just read the chapter as we get into the series applicable to mm-hmm. that week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be great. Looking forward to it. So that the Deepen podcast continues, right? With yeah. If the Tomb is Empty series coming up next. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and it's me and Charles. We'll continue. Talking about everything from like the process of how we wrote this thing together to dive deep dive into the subjects to how it, you know, impacted us or impacts us personally. And mm-hmm. yeah, man, I'm also looking forward to writing the sermons because even though, I mean, I wrote the book, it was like a year ago when you actually mm-hmm. write a book, you know, before it comes out. So you said this the other day. Um, you were talking about on average, you, I mean, you go to like, you hear, me preach three times a week, and yet you feel like God has a new word, new fresh word for you every time. Well, mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking forward to that too, because each week I'm still going to sit down with the text, 
and go at it one more time mm-hmm. fresh. So it won't just be like straight. It's not like I'm just reading the script from the book, you know? And that's one of God's great graces in my life, mm-hmm. man. When you hit when you hit a, a scripture that you're really familiar with, and I'm pretty familiar now with these seven mountains, mm-hmm. and then God just, well, Jesus promised the Spirit of God would teach you things. Mm-hmm. It is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus when you are reading your Bible and you learn a new thing. Mm-hmm. And so I look forward to that process again, like going through these texts one more time and see what the Lord has for us. It'll be fun. I think that's true as you're reading the book too. I mean, like I've heard some of the stories. I've heard you preach even sermons on those same texts, but hearing it in like reading it, hearing it in the book format, something fresh and new about it, even even as I'm getting into it, it's awesome. Uh, well, uh, this weekend we're diving into contentment, the kingdom of God, and contentment, uh, comfort. Um, and you opened up, Pastor Joby, with the the statement that this was sort of week two or part two to last week. So yeah. how, how are you making that connection to last week and what we talked about? So first of all, I, I knew the week on sex and the week on money would like punch us in the mouth. So I was mm-hmm. kind of ready for that. Right. The week on work, going into it, I, didn't, I just thought it'd be, you know, like like a regular sermon. I don't know. I think it impacted our people um, much more severely than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Like the number of emails I got, the number of people down at the altar, the number, like in our kind of feedback loops, the people that are, I mean, straight up changing their whole lives, man, because they feel like God told them to do this thing a long time ago when they mm-hmm. finally have the courage to step out in obedience. And so <clears throat> that was still lingering in my brain when I sit down Monday to start going the kingdom of God and, mm-hmm. and satisfaction, comfort. <clears throat> and I began to just see, all right, if if you heeded Mary's advice last week, do whatever he tells you to do. Well, he told you to do something last week, and between that last week and this week, mm. what Solomon deals with in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes are the, the numbing toxins of this culture that shut our ears down to what God tells us to do mm-hmm. and just lulls us into the comfort of this world to not take steps of obedience. Mm-hmm. You asked the question last week, like, what are some of the things that keep people from doing what God's called them to do? Well, that's basically the sermon. Mm-hmm. Like, pay attention to these things. And then, honestly, from the... I'd kind of forgotten about me and you going to Crackland, you know? And we started talking about it here just based on fear. But, like I shared, the, the end of that event is we ended up in the nicest Italian restaurant I've ever been. And we ate Italian food to the glory of God, no problem. But mm-hmm. my own personal... Uh, experience was how quickly my sensitivity to gospel opportunity was deadened mm-hmm. by the fine things of this world. Mm-hmm. I did not walk in to that Italian restaurant with the same attentive attentiveness to opportunities like I did in Crackland. Mm-hmm. I was missionary in Crackland. I was consumer at the Italian mm-hmm. restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying pay attention to. Yeah. Now we're heading into the Lent season, and we do fasting during Lent. And what you're saying almost reminds me of fasting. Is there a connection between kind of that, um, I don't know, that sort of pacifying quality of some oh, things sure. in the world? And I mean, could you make the connection to fasting? Oh, a thousand percent, because what you are doing, I mean, if there is this idol of comfort, you are willingly choosing discomfort. Mm-hmm. And we are not a body with a soul or a soul with a body. We are a 
psychosomatic creature that mm-hmm. God breathed life yeah. into. And so those things are connected. Mm-hmm. All throughout the New Testament, specifically, Jesus connects um, a closeness with God, being able to hear from Him, those kinds of a preparation mm-hmm. with fasting and prayer. Yeah. And again, man, you tell your flesh no, you allow your spirit to say yes. That's right. Yeah. So we talked about, um, you talked about kind of the comfort, like as the idol, the negative side of comfort and how it pacifies us to sleep. And then you talked about contentment. Both of those things, and maybe it's maybe it's just me, when I think about contentment, it does seem a little passive, like I'm sitting here and I don't need anything, right? That's sort of what contentment is. So how are you connecting the idea of contentment that Paul talks about to the active anti-comfort uh, of the pacifier? Well, I mean, when Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in all situations, he's talking about circumstantial situations, right. no matter what. But he also possesses a holy discontent mm-hmm. in regards to there's a lot of gospel work to be done. Mm-hmm. So the reality is the more holy discontent you have with the amount of lost people in this world and whatever it is God has called you to do, then the more likely you are to be content regardless of your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, the opposite of that is also true. The more you take your eyes off of what God's call in your life is, your role in the Great Commission, the more likely you are to look for contentment in the temporary things of this world, and they will not satisfy. Mm -hmm. Those things are closely tied together. See my experience with Crackland and the very nice Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tim Keller talks about the deep idols. His book with his book is Counterfeit Gods, I think. He yep. says that there's basically three deep idols, right? Uh, power. Is it four? Comfort, power, control. Romance. Okay. He just adds that one. Like if you're if you are if you love love, mm. if you're using people to feel good about you. Okay. You know, if you if your identity's tied up yep. in your like relational status, yeah. I think that's his fourth one. And it's interesting we've hit I don't know this is not a series on idolatry, but we've hit those almost all those right and so what does it look like to serve the idol of comfort to serve the idol of comfort is to pursue a temporary satisfaction or a temporary moment of relief based on the acquisition of a feeling of a possession of a thing or a there. I call it the myth of there. Mm. The idea that once I get there, then I will finally be happy. Mm. You know, there could be a relationship, there could be a promotion, there could be um whatever. And what this the myth of there, that's what the the worshiping at the idol of the comfort is, is you're constantly thinking, what if I can just get there? then I'll finally and fully be happy and satisfied only to get there and look around and realize, oh, wait, there's another there that I need to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now you're there. That's right. <laughs> you yeah. Are the problem. yeah, you brought you with you to there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you still got everywhere you go, there you are. I don't know when it hit me, but somewhere along the way, I stumbled into this. There's only three lures that the enemy has. Less of the, you know, I say it all the time, mm-hmm. right? I teach it all the time. So it, it's kind of a lens by which I see the scripture. So even 
I see the idol of contentment as a version of the lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you said. It is when you begin to justify with yourself why you deserve to feel a way. Mm-hmm. That's the idol of comfort. Mm-hmm. So I worked real hard. I deserve this drink and the one that follows and the one that follows and the one that follows. I deserve this new couch because I deserve that bigger TV. Mm-hmm. I deserve this food. It makes me feel good. I deserve to not go serve because I deserve to feel this way. Mm-hmm. I think I think that, that deep idol of comfort and that lure of the lust of the flesh are all tied up together. Mm. I think that one of the things that's true is that, in my experience, is that a lot of people would not articulate or they're not operating on a subconscious level of I am trying to feel good, meaning I am chasing a positive feeling. They, they wouldn't mm-hmm. categorize their human pursuit in that way, meaning right. they're not necessarily trying to like feel good at somebody else's expense or they're not trying to pursue happy as happy in and of itself. At least that's not how they would say it. What, what, they, what we do end up doing, though, is not necessarily trying to pursue happy. It's trying to avoid sad. Correct. Right. Yeah. And we're trying, to, we're trying to stay away from negative emotion way more than we're trying to pursue positive pleasure. You know, but, and we pursue positive pleasure trying to avoid negative mm-hmm. emotion. And we just get into this think... It's this. It's the enemy. It's the way the enemy works. It's the way our enemy and our flesh work oh, together, which really is good. think, mm-hmm. feel, act. Mm-hmm. So the enemy knows if he can get you to think about something, meaning I just want you to think about being sad or hurt, or in verses leaning into the sadness, knowing that God is just as present in sadness, in hardship, in suffering, mm-hmm. in life. Life's just hard, and it's not always like. Oh my God, everything's so terrible. Mm-hmm. But there is just a weightiness to being alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so there's a, and, and so. In this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. And this, this is actually what it means to be created for purpose. Mm-hmm. It's that you have been, to have purpose means that you have been given weight. Mm-hmm. And that weight is the weight of glory, actually. Mm-hmm. And that you've been given this weight, and now you carry this weight around. Most people, are, instead of living under the yoke of the weight, which is God's purpose and God's redemptive work and God's plan for creating and flourishing under the, the weight of responsibility and calling, most people are trying to avoid responsibility mm-hmm. and calling because they might, we might mess it up or it comes, it comes heavy. Does that make sense? And so, so to you- avoid that negative emotion, they start to pursue yeah. satiating moments, which end up to... The pursuit of pleasure. You tracking with me? For sure. So we have not talked about this. So as you're saying this, I, <clears throat> I think you're right on. And it made me think, all right, if you were actually trying to pursue feeling good, for good's sake, like positively, I'm trying to think, my first thought was like, well, you would willingly put your, so let's take health. You would willingly put yourself through pain, you'd exercise, so that you would feel good tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You're right? Lose a little weight, heartbeat's good. Everything's good, okay? You would sacrifice the temporary. You wouldn't eat the cupcake. You would eat good. And I'm trying to even think about as you say that, is there anything that's 
the pursuit of good where it does not require pain and or sacrifice? I mean, think about it. Okay, so I want a good marriage. I sacrifice every other girl on the planet. <laughs> I mean, right? If you want to take care of your body, you better sacrifice some dumb TV shows so you can get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. It is the way God wired us. And the good shepherd says, I sacrifice myself for you. Mm-hmm. So I think you're really, I haven't had much time to think about this. But as you say that, that's what comes to mind. That, it, and it, I mean, you want to talk about an upside down kingdom. Mm-hmm. This kingdom says, avoid pain. His kingdom says, on the other side of pain, on the other side of fa- sacrifice, there, there is a goodness to this life that I have for you. Yeah. It, is, it is joining God in the work of cultivating a flourishing, good flourishing on the earth, and that is through toil and sweat yeah, and hard work and giving of yourself for the good of others as God defines good. Right. And you know, you know what I mean. And toiling and, and sowing and pruning mm-hmm. and reaping—all of that is look. That book I quoted, I read last week, "A CD and Its Discontents." Yeah. It's all about this. Mm-hmm. And it, it, as you were talking tonight, I started thinking about Psalm eighty-four. So I was slipping there. Uh, I'm probably I might have missed four minutes of your sermon because I was reading Psalm eighty-four. Well, but you had plenty more to choose from. So the way I learned Psalm eighty-four is that happy are those whose strength is in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Our ESV version says blessed, but that word blessed, a one of its meanings mm-hmm. is the way we use happy mm-hmm. in our culture. That's one of the meanings of blessed when you read it specifically mm-hmm. in Hebrew. And so it says happy is those whose strength is in the Lord. So I started thinking, where does strength actually come from? Mm-hmm. And all I could think of was three places where strength comes from. One is your genes. Like genetics, mm-hmm. like some people are just born stronger than other people. It's just what it is. I don't like you are born stronger than me. I don't know. Speaking of JP, just won another weightlifting competition. Congratulations! He's two for two. Oh, nice. My my, we were talking about this at my house the other day. Like my wife is has always historically been a baller at doing pull ups. Not me so much, <laughs> and I never could climb the rope in gym class. Mm. I could squat plenty. But climbing the rope, I don't know if it was just like I'm just not that smart not or I'm not that strong. Yeah, like everybody's got their thing. They handed me books and put me in the corner <laughs> and let other people climb the rope. That said, where does strength come from? Your genetics. Okay. So part. So you translate that into a new covenant. Yeah. This is an identity thing that you have all the strength in the world because you are now indwelt by the most powerful person in the world, which is the Holy Spirit. So genetically, you're covered, but not because you. Are born right. awesome because you're saved by a God who is awesome. Right. So, food is where strength comes from. Mm-hmm. This is where what you're talking about. What you consume mm-hmm. is directly related to how how powerful you can be. Mm-hmm. How much? I guess the better way to say it is how much power you can walk in, or how the strength of the Lord can manifest in your life. What you consume, and then the third one was conditioning. You have to train. And the way you get stronger, I know this from a bunch of years, you actually, when you lift weights, if you don't, if you just kind of do a little bit, you don't ever get stronger. If you don't push yourself to failure, what happens when your muscles fail is the muscle fibers literally like tear apart. And then with the right nutrition and the right recuperation, they build back bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. I used to have this cheesy FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, t-shirt. I was king of the Christian t-shirt in high school. Mm-hmm. Or it's Jim. 
I had the Lord's Gym. I did. But this one had a cross on it. This is probably, it's probably sacrilegious. I shouldn't have had it, but whatever. I didn't know. And instead of like the cross beam, it had like bodybuilding muscle arms. And it said faith is like exercise. Or no, faith is like a muscle that grows with exercise. It is true. Uh-huh. There is a faith muscle condition that if you don't stretch it, if you don't step out in faith, if you don't walk in obedience, it will never grow. If you don't trust God to do what only He can do, then how in the world are you ever going to trust God to do what only He can do? Right. And sometimes it starts with the smallest little thing, right? Yeah. And then it leads to these really big things. I think so, about what you just said about good things coming at a cost that man, our, our culture, like the definition of entitlement, you mentioned your least favorite mobile phone commercial. I have another mobile phone commercial that says good shouldn't have to cost more. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that is the definition of entitlement. You're saying good, I should have good at no cost. And think about if we take that, which is so prevalent, and we put it on God and we say, oh, to step out in faith shouldn't have to cost me anything or it shouldn't have to be hard. I think a lot of people have that maybe subconsciously. Like I shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to feel hard if God's in it. Think about how many people have said that, like, well, it just didn't have a piece about it. It was just, I was really struggling. So it must have been the wrong, must have been God closing the door. <laughs> but if we're talking about good costing something, then push through the door. For sure. And so I think as I'm walking away from this week's sermon, one of the things I'm, I'm asking myself according to some of some of what I feel like the Lord's showing me through Psalm 84 and through the sermon tonight is where am I operating according to the power of the flesh versus the power of the spirit? Because that's where all the real power is. Right. And I st- the flesh is still alive in me. I can't deny that. And so where am I? Where's the flesh working versus the spirit working? And where's the spirit? Where am I feeding the flesh versus feeding the spirit? The old, what what do you consume? Yep. Those are your two choices. Feed the flesh or feed the spirit. Fuel the flesh, fuel the spirit. And then how am I conditioning my flesh so that the 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 spiritual muscles, the house that God is building, can be strengthened and grow and good can flourish, right? And so it's the it's it conditioning, consumption, and you know ultimately what what spirit or what kingdom yeah. is really in control here. You know, it's a good way to think about it. I, I've never made that connection between happiness and strength. So when you use the the ingredients for getting stronger to think about your happiness, that's really powerful. Pastor Joby, you did preach a series years ago about idols called mm-hmm. smashing idols that's right um, how would how would one go about smashing this idol of comfort well even though I love the the, the reason we came up with that title is a, God does not cuddle idols mm-hmm. he doesn't make excuses for idols he doesn't try to tame an idol all throughout the Old Testament you know by his own power he would flip over the Idle Dagon, you know, those kind of things. He'd smash them. And Dagon. Our, right, the Dagon thing won't stay up. <laughs> and so our uh but our culture does I mean, especially these ones like comfort and power, we make room for them in our lives. That that's where that title came from. Mm. 
And if you remember the bumper videos were like people smashing TVs and stuff. That's it was great. Pretty epic. Okay. But in reality, you don't smash an idol. In reality, an idol can only be replaced. Mm. That that the way I something will sit on the throne of your heart. Mm-hmm. It will not stay vacant. Mm. It'll either be one of these things we talk about, power, control, comfort, romance, whatever. Or it it will be Jesus. And it is the expulsive power of understanding that the gospel is not merely practical. Hell is hot forever is a long time. Who wants to go there? Mm-hmm. But it is it is beautiful. This week I've been using the have you been gripped by the greater affection a lot? Because that's what it is. That the only thing that you can do to stamp out an idol in your life is have something that just is so overwhelming to you that that idol grows strangely dim, as mm-hmm. we sang tonight. I mean, you know, if the idol is a saltine cracker, then a relationship with Jesus is a is a perfectly cooked fillet. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, you go, "What am I doing with this?" Mm-hmm. So it, it's what the Puritans called the expulsive power of a relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. So then, just like. Pastor Britt's saying, man, you feed that, bro. You mm. feed that. You put yourself in the environments that stir your affections for the Lord, that grow your heart towards Him. That, mm-hmm. And you welcome both the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You open the Word, man. You get you 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 ask God, Lord, I don't just I don't want to just read it. Well, please let your word read me. Show me the places mm-hmm. where my heart is out of step with you. Mm. And He will. As you were t- preaching tonight, I, I was thinking a, a lot about my own like personal journey in being content in and through Christ Jesus. And for sure have days, weeks even, maybe even seasons where discontentment still rises up in, in whatever category of life. But man, nothing like what it used to be. And you know, you know what I mean, and and praise God for that. And you, you should, yeah, that's called my, sanctification. That's my great. my wife could be give better testimony to it for sure. She we we lived in eight houses in eight years, <laughs> and some of that was my own discontentment. Mm. Some of that was where my own discontentment led us into mm. bad decisions that ended up putting in situations where. Hmm. Now we've lived in the house we're in now longer than any house we've ever lived in in 15 years of marriage. Uh, I couldn't be more content, not satisfied in like, I don't, I want more for my marriage, but I'm totally content in my marriage. I, yeah. I'm content in my family. Like so much so that I kind of want to just like stop time yeah. and be like, man, let's just hang out here in this season. It's so good. And, and we're in the like, we kind of joke about it. We're kind of in like the soccer mom. We just, our kids just don't play soccer. It's swimming and gymnastics and all the things, but I love it. Yeah. And well, you're in a sweet season. No diapers, no driver's license. It's, man, it's Enjoy. awesome. <laughs> right, right. All that to say, I started thinking through what are some things that God has, has given me that help me cultivate contentment in Christ Jesus. And I've learned a lot of this from you. And so thank you for that. Uh, I think you model all of these things incredibly well, as do our elders. Uh, a lot and, and a lot of our other. We were talking about how awesome our church is last week, and it's so true. Man, our church is just so chock full of just unbelievably mm-hmm. godly people who are who want to be a disciple to make disciples. Yeah. That's it. I love it. I love them. One of the things we talk about all the time: how to be content in Jesus. Think 
tools. Like mm-hmm. One, gratitude. Mm-hmm. For sure. Gratitude. It's number one, in my opinion. If it's mm-hmm. not number one, it's got a ton of power. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you practice gratitude out loud regularly, it's amazing the, the impact the words coming out of your mouth have on your mind and heart. Nothing flushes away entitlement like express gratitude. No doubt. You can't do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. You just can't. No doubt. So gratitude, giving, financial giving, like treasure giving for yep. sure, which that and gratitude are completely married in a lot of ways, but totally. giving of my, myself, you know, like there's a big difference. We were talking about this at all. We, we have an all staff meeting every Tuesday and we we're talking about this at all staff in regards to fasting, but I've been thinking a lot about this. Like if you give of your time and you give of your talent and you solicit credit for doing that thing, meaning credit either from God or from others, then immediately the joy of doing that thing dissipates because you're, mm. you're soliciting credit for it. Mm. If the goal in it is to, to be noticed or to be seen or to use that thing to get to another thing, then immediately the joy that could be produced in that dissipates quickly mm-hmm. because the motivations are all wrong. God's good. God's faithful. But that said, to, it's almost like the doctrine of secrecy. Like mm-hmm. the more you can do things in obscurity mm-hmm. for the joy of doing them Correct. Mm-hmm. because they are good, the more joy mm-hmm. giving has. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when he says, don't let the, the right hand know what the left is doing, he's specifically talking about, Jesus is specifically talking about giving. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something to that mm-hmm. that we have to slow down and be like, you almost want to do your best to to glorify God by giving of your time, talent, and treasure in kind of the spirit of secrecy, I guess mm-hmm. is the way that I would say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's one you want to celebrate. No problem. But I want to celebrate seeing inc- encouraging and exhorting you giving yourself away as my brother, I don't want to celebrate me doing it. Mm -hmm. You tracking with me? Yeah, if it gets celebrated, then praise God, man, follow me as I follow Christ, 1 Corinthians Mm 11.1. But if your motivation is you, then you're you're using God's commands of obedience as a means to your own glory. That is is a good definition of idolatry. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were talking about in terms of fasting, like when Jesus talks about when you fast, wash yeah. your face. Yeah. Don't and one of the like American things that happens to fasting that completely robs the fruit and the joy out of fasting is whining and complaining and talking about the fact that you're fasting. Mm-hmm. Correct. Like mm-hmm. that's it's not mm-hmm. you're still fasting. You're just like taking all the power out of the that's fasting. It. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It is now terminated on the act of fasting. Right, right, right. Your reward was the uh, was the like you got on Instagram. That's yeah. it. Somebody so, once compared the, when Jesus said, don't pray with many words on the street corners, uh, but go into your room uh, and pray. Somebody said, when you are at the beach with your Bible and you do the Instagram, just me and the Lord this morning, that's the, that's the same, you're doing the same thing. It's the street corner. It's definitely and suspect. You've lost your reward. <laughs> it is suspect. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to be mm-hmm. too judgy. That's right. Uh, that said, so gratitude, giving. And then I thought about going, you know, and that's a, it's a time thing. It's a, 
But you said something earlier about God's do the thing that God told you to do. And I've been thinking a lot about this since last week. If you can't draw a very short, maybe I'm wrong in this, so correct me if I am. If you can't draw a very short, straight line from what you're giving yourself to, to lost people being saved, you need to ask yourself some questions. In regards to, am I doing what God wants me to do? It's a very fair statement. Very, very fair statement. Right? Because there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things that they define as good, helpful things in regards to fulfilling God's call on their life. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. But but I would just I always always want to go back to it, that let the, the great gospel condition. define. For we we know what he said and what he's what he has called us all to do. Go. Is to go, make disciples. make disciples. He didn't call all of us to stay. Sometimes you get to come home. But we all go, and wherever we go. So if you go from Matthew 28 to Acts 1-8, there are different callings in regards to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But everybody was going and making disciples. Yeah, so. and, whether, and even if you're not currently on the go, you better be on the funding team or the praying team mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. When I thought about that, like... Gratitude, giving, and then going. Part of going is going to him in prayer, going to him in his word, going to him at church, mm-hmm. but then also going to others in his name so that the lost might be saved. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that I'm like, when I really think through being content in Jesus, those are some of the tools that God's put in my hand over the years. Because make no mistake about it, I've spent years in ministry before doing things Mm-hmm. not necessarily going on mission with Jesus to make disciples. It can even happen to pastors, I promise. Oh, gosh, yeah, for sure. Mm. <clears throat> you know, I think as you say that, while I have many, many, many struggles, we could do many seasons of deep and on just the sins of me. Okay, no problem. Um, contentment is not really a thing that I struggle with. Um I think I have a holy discontent in that there are still a lot of one mores out there that need Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. But like circumstantial contentment is not a thing. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the amount of time I spend in a week on like serious, deep self-reflection, it is very limited as compared to the amount of time I spend trying to figure out how I am going to be used to help other people discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then the upside-down kingdom trick there is... I'm the one discovering and deepening my relationship with Jesus when I'm not even focused on that as much as I'm focused on how can I be used mm-hmm. in this church and around the world to help other people discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. One of the things that a product of such a blessed society, we got a whole bunch of time where everybody can do a personality exam and do 10,000 Bible studies and all of that stuff and never go and make disciples. I mean, the bro, you get in the disciple-making business and watch how contentment just begins to take care of itself mm-hmm. because you're praying differently now. Mm-hmm. You read your Bible differently when you're not just trying to be like, God, I need a word. When you're like, God, I need to teach your word. Can you help me understand what this says? Mm-hmm. These are very different approaches to the Lord, right? When you, It's different to go to Him and, with the attitude of, I need you more versus here I am, send me. 
Mm-hmm. He will give you all of him and all that you need. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Mm-hmm. And as you are on the go, I, do you think that, this, this might be too far, but I think that the promise in the Great Commission is a conditional promise. Mm-hmm. He says, and lo, I will be with you always. Therefore, go and make disciples. All right, well, if you are not on the go and he is on the go, is he with you? I know he's omnipresent, so he's at all places you can't, like Psalm 139, get out of his presence. I get that. But Jesus is on this great commission go. Mm-hmm. If you're on this, like, it's all about me sit and soak, there are churches where he's on the outside knocking on the door and be like, y'all can let me in? Mm-hmm. See Revelation 3, Laodicea. For sure. Right? A lukewarm church, not on the go. Mm-hmm. And they had good doctrine, and they were rich, and the only problem was Jesus was not a part of their church. Mm-hmm. Could it be because they are not? They're just sitting and soaking, man. Mm-hmm. They're just concerned about them and their own comfort mm-hmm. and not being about the Great Commission. Yeah. That was one of the things that I thought to bring into the discussion was how does a church get turned into a comfort cul-de-sac? And you kind of mentioned any, anything else you'd say about that? I mean, you just lose sight on the. You have any thoughts about that? <laughs> That's all you, baby. Well, honestly, our church is so set up to, for everybody to just walk in here like a big fat baby with their umbilical cord, going "Feed me, feed me, feed me." The music is so good. We teach the Bible. The videos are awesome. The parking's good. The, Everything's great, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe air conditioning. Oh, things. man. So cold. I love it. And we have to love our people enough to continuously hammer them <laughs> with the good news that it ain't about you. Mm-hmm. And the moment you get rescued, you're part of the rescue team. Mm-hmm. This thing is not a country club. This is not a cruise liner. This is a warship where you just get in here, feed you enough to get going, equip you, load up the gun, and then go back at it. Mm-hmm. Whether that's as a teacher, a coach, full-time missionary, we're all full-time missionaries. Mm-hmm. But it is, man. It's 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 easy to turn into the consumer. And the thing that makes it really easy is there's this self-fulfilling feedback loop where everybody likes it. Mm-hmm. We like it because the insiders just tell us how great we are. And then they feel good because we just give them what they want. And then, mm-hmm. and bro, I'm telling you, the lampstand, the Lord's like, that's not what I'm doing. Mm. The church is not something to consume. Correct. It's not just another thing that yeah. you you watch or you show up at or you come and get. It's not. It's not a. It's not a place where you just come to like only get. Right, it's not. It, church is not. It's not something to, to consume. It's just not. The and, Bible says that God is the all-consuming fire. Right. If anybody's the consumer, little play on words here. Mm-hmm. It's Him. He mm-hmm. is supposed to consume us, and we are so consumed with Him that it ain't about us. Mm-hmm. It's here I am, send me. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy? This is the upside down kingdom that I'm trying to talk about from the wisdom of Solomon, because mm-hmm. you can either learn this in your own mm-hmm. experience, or you can trust his experience. Yeah. I love that. If you become a consumer of the goods and services of evangelicalism, you will, you will live a life of dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. If you are consumed with a greater affection, mm-hmm. because he consumes you, and you're just caught up in it, mm-hmm. you, you, you are a part of what he has called you to do, and, and you learn the secret of being content in every situation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're completely satisfied. We were created with this insatiable desire 
as evidence that the temporary things of this world can't satisfy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But only he can. Yeah, it's uh, the church is not something to consume. It's a, it is a people that God has saved you to belong to in order that you would live on mission with them unto his return and for his glory's sake. It's a totally... When, when you think of the church in, regard, in regards to, it is a people that I belong to, that I've been saved into, mm-hmm. to live on mission with. One of the key words you'll hear to these days is the word, the, the word community. Okay. We're just going to do life together. We're just going to be in community. This is our community. This is our community. And that's how a lot of churches turn inward, is it becomes very focused about us being this community of faith and mm-hmm. belief and... It just you, oftentimes what that means is take mission to reach people with the gospel and to see others saved and redeemed out. Like that's God's business. Ours is communal, of which I'm pro communal. However, when I read the New Testament specifically, the people who were in the strongest unto death kind of relationships and brotherhood and family were the people who lived on mission together, right? Yeah. Do a quick study of the New Testament. Watch when Jesus rebukes the disciples. It's almost always when it turns inward. Yep. Watch when he high-fives them. It's when it turns outward. So feeding of the 5,000, he's like, great job. He hand, he blesses the food. He hands it then says, hand it to the people. And he's like, way to go. Good job, boys. Mm-hmm. It turns inward. And they're like, call down fire on these Samaritans because they won't listen to him. He's like, what are you talking about? Or make us senior VP, you know, mm-hmm. Matthew 20, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we need to, uh, here's another word that I don't have. Uh, sometimes people say things to me at the end of service, and I try not to be like super angsty and because they don't know, man. They just heard this phrase, so they're saying it. They're not trying to be the worst. For sure. But they're like, well, we've been church shopping and we came here, and I just want to be like, stop it. Stop. I know what you mean. If that's what you're doing, though, don't come here. Because when you shop, you're you're self-identified as a consumer, and all you're saying is, what can this product do for me? And if you're going to be a part of a church, there's nothing you shop for that you go, what can I give myself to? Can I give myself to this? Co-? No, that's, you do the exact opposite. What can you do for me? Mm-hmm. And a part of what it means to be a part of a faith family is, I'm a part of the body, whatever part that is. I lay down my life for the good of the sheep. Mm-hmm. I've given myself to the Great Commission. None of these are chopping words. Mm-mm. So we this would be a good project for the three of us. We need to come out with a new phrase for people that are trying to find what movement they're called to be a part of, and we need to reframe and rebrand all of evangelicalism with mm-hmm. this is what it's called when you're looking for a church to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But it ain't church shopping. Yeah. Looking for my assignment, auditioning for my assignment, for my great commission assignment. I like that. Um, So this is the year of worship. And if there's anything that tends to be shopped in church, people are going through churches, it's how's the singing and how's the preaching? Uh, How does, how could you help those who would see? Because, I mean, we hear that language, right? Like, I just, they didn't sing any songs that I liked, which is a very consumer thing to say. Mm-hmm. So frame frame for those listening, worship not as a consumer. 
Well, you know, to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, we do need to do our best to bring our best to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right. In the Old Testament, they had the best. Everybody didn't get a tambourine and just say, go for it. Mm -hmm. There was order to it. <laughs> there are different, I mean, 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, 12 specifically talks about the body in many parts. And so the mouth should speak, right? And the, and the hand should clap. Mm -hmm. And so there are different gifts for sure. But with that being said, for sure you want to be a part of a church where the people leading in worship are pointing you to Jesus, not pointing you to you or to them. We've talked about this all the time, but you've got to flip upside down the way you see worship. So many people, like if this was a play, they would see God as the director, the the people up on stage as the actors, and the crowd as the audience. Mm -hmm. I think a biblical view of that is like, no, 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 the people on stage are like the directors. The people in the audience are the actors, the players, and God is the audience. Yeah. That's the right view of worship. Mm -hmm. Now, for sure, man, people have different tastes and styles, no problem. And I don't think God prefers one over the other. I just think God is looking for worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. So that matters a ton. But it's more what you're doing in worship is what can I bring to God, not what can this church do for me. Mm -hmm. For sure. The, the church of Jesus Christ on the earth, the redeemed, blood-bought saints that have breath in their lungs that are called the church of Jesus Christ, that are his ambassadors on the earth, pushing back the darkness of hell and territory lost in the fall and reclaiming it for the eternal kingdom of his majesty, the church. It's for God. Correct. Mm -hmm. It's for him. It is his wife. So if you want to, if you, the most powerful image the New Testament gives us in regards to the, what the church is, is, is she is a wife. She is, she is a wife who is, she is a bride who is being prepared for the bridegroom. She is maturing and growing and preparing. Being cleansed in the washing of the word. Being washed by the word for the bridegroom. The, the lamps have been given. The oil has been poured, hopefully. For those that are filled with, this lamp is filled with oil. Yeah. And it's just a different, it's not, it's not your next, like, it's not a grocery store where you're walking up and down the aisles picking the items that you like for your, to check off your boxes for the week. Does that make sense? It is, this is, it is the most powerful and beautiful supernatural entity on the earth. There's nothing like the church. So, very simple question. Does God want to draw men and women unto himself? Yes. So, so if you were at a church and you did not feel like you were partnering with that church, mm -hmm. that God would use you and that church to draw men and women unto himself, that'd be a big, like, flashing red light on the dashboard of your life that mm -hmm. that might not be your church, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I can't tell you the number of people that I hear. This is really like, 
they'll say, well, we kind of go to two churches, but we only invite people to this one. And I'm like, all right, well, so what's going on? Like, right. one of the things that we want to be here in the singing and the talking and the pra- and all the things that we're doing is that we are a partner in the Great Commission with all of the humans that make up the church that is 1122, mm-hmm. and we are all in the same disciple-making endeavor together. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't feel like that, that would be, in my opinion, that would be a thing I would look at. There's a few things. I'd look at that. It, man, if you're in a church that's not teaching the Bible, ooh, mm. just get on out, bro. That's not that's not what the New Testament calls a church if they're but, not teaching the Bible. Correct, correct. And they might say many Bible verses, but there's a difference between that and mm-hmm. them relying on the gospel because it is the only power unto salvation. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure, yeah. There are great churches in the world. Okay. I, in my many. opinion, ours is one of them. Praise God. I love being here. Me too. There are many great Bible teaching, gospel professing, God glorifying expressions of local churches Correct. all over the place. Praise God. We get to be friends with some of the greatest churches and the greatest teams and the greatest families, you know, I mean, really all over the world. Um, that, that said, there's also, unfortunately, a lot of not not so great ones, and sometimes maybe God calls somebody to stay at a church where people may are not necessarily being reached in order to bring change. For the sure. question is, are you endeavoring in that effort, if only in prayer? Mm-hmm. Are you endeavoring at all in that effort to change, or are you? Because you know, if not, then did God really call you to to stay there? And right. if he does, then you should just do what he says. That said, as for me and mine, we want to be aligned with a gospel movement that, man, dude, I told you this before. I'm sitting in Israel. This is years ago, first time I ever went to Israel. And I'm reading John 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And right in the middle of this conversation is one of the wildest things that I think Jesus says. Nicodemus is like, how somebody be born again? Jesus is like, well, you know, you know, no, you, Nicodemus, you don't have to crawl back into your mother's womb. You have to be born of spirit and water. Right. And meaning there's a natural birth and there's a spiritual rebirth. And then he just quotes, he just, he doesn't quote, he just says this verse. He says, the, the kingdom of God or the Spirit of God, depending on the translation, or the people of God, the community of God, depending on how you read it, the way you interpret it. It says, the kingdom of God is like the wind. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows where it's coming from, and nobody knows where it's going. I'm sitting on there in Garden of Gethsemane, on the side of Mount Mount Olives in Israel, and God speaks a word to me. He says, that's your life. You're going to spend the rest of your life chasing the wind. You don't start it. You don't have you don't get to tell it when to blow. However, you're gonna chase this is before I even moved to Jacksonville. So you're you're gonna chase the wind. And that's when I wanna I wanna like encourage believers and go, Oh man, chase the wind. Like where the wind of God is blowing, yeah. Get in. Get in the stream as fast as you can. Right. And then you Dr. Know? Graham has a great line he talks about it. He's like, You can't see the wind, can't start the wind, can't direct the wind, but you know the effects of the wind. Mm. There's no doubt when the wind's blowing. Even though you can't explain it, can't direct it, can't even predict it right, 
and I know this would be true. I know weather apps predict the wind. They're wrong all the time. I'm in the woods making decisions about where to sit in the woods based on the wind, and it's not mm-hmm. what they said. It's all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about this in regards to comfort? This sounds scandalous. One of the greatest tools of the enemy to lull you to sleep and get you out of the game of the Great Commission is the comfort of church. Mm. Get real comfortable at your church as an enemy's ploy to make you think you are about the master's business and you are doing nothing that has to do with what the master said to do. A whole lot of fans being a fan of what God's doing and being a follower of Jesus are not necessarily the same thing. Hmm. Isn't that what's meant by so many of Jesus's parables that say at the end, there will be a, a sifting or a separation. Very gr- surprised group of people. And there's a line. surprised group of people. Wait, what? And they'll give their resume. Yeah. I cast out demons. That was one. Yeah. Yeah, but, man. Not even I showed up every week to Sunday school or I tithe faithfully. I cast out demons. And he says, the part I never knew you. Mm-hmm. Look, man, if you go to the Pharisee and the tax collector, mm-hmm. Luke, Luke 17, 16, 17, something in there, Jesus tells a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He starts and says, there were some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty key part. Self-righteous by definition. That's right. But then he paints these two pictures. The, the Pharisee one kills me. Because the Pharisee stands up and is like, God, he's praying to God. Mm-hmm. No, he's not praying to like, you know, some other mm-hmm. Baal. Mm-hmm. He's praying to the God of the New Testament right. or the God of the Old Testament. He's praying to God and he says, it's a theocentric prayer. Mm-hmm. And he says, God, I thank you. So Right from out of the gate, it says God and thanks. Mm-hmm. These off are to, both good things. <laughs> it says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, mm-hmm. extortioners. And then he goes on to list these these things I could tell you. But these things that are like, those are things you should be thankful that you're not. Right? That you're you're not ruining your life or blowing your life up or mm-hmm. whatever. Man, I almost landed right on Luke right there. I was turning the scriptures, and I just flipped over like 300 pages, and there I was. Look at God. Blessed and highly favored. So he says, the Pharisee standing by himself. Ooh, that's an important one. Prayed. So again, he's by himself. Mm-hmm. He's not on the street corners announcing his righteousness before men. Mm-hmm. So the Pharisee's by himself, praying to God, and he says, thanks. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You go, okay, that's not a terrible resume. Mm-hmm. Then he says, I fast twice a week. Th- this is a good thing to do. You should fast. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. All right, so so far this guy's like... A covenant member. He's a covenant member of a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then Jesus says, but then there's this tax collector who standing far off would not lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified mm-hmm. rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, even in his own mind, 
Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Mm -hmm. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Mm -hmm. Talk about the enemy of comfort is the humility that comes Mm -hmm. from the reality that I am a sinner in desperate need of God's mercy. Mm. When I and because I am a sinner in desperate need of God's mercy, I have been forgiven mm-hmm. by the blood of Jesus Christ. That just kind of takes complacency and and, mm-hmm. and comfort. It's like just flips it up on its head. It's mm-hmm. like you just you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like is it totally different? Got the Pharisees all look. I'm not that bad. I'm better than most. And in and of themselves, those things are fine. It's just he's trusting in those things in his own mind to get him to that he would be at a certain position, church attendance, giving, whatever. And the tax collector's like, I got nothing, Matt. Apart from the mercy of God, I got nothing. It's a bit. Interesting. One account says that the Pharisee goes to the temple and prays, I thank God I'm not a woman, not a slave, not a Gentile. Mm-hmm. As if he has earned his right standing before God. Okay. And it was a common prayer, according to history, it was a common prayer of the first century religious, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to Acts 16 and the Spirit of God is just doing what he does. The ghost is all over the place. And who does he save? He saves a woman, saves a Gentile, Mm. saves a slave. Mm -hmm. Bro, you can't make this stuff up, man. No doubt. I mean, that's why you got to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Mm -hmm. And you you watch the Spirit of God drawing all men and women unto himself, Mm -hmm. all kinds of men and women unto himself, Mm -hmm. and opposing those who have declared themselves right standing before God because of what they've done. Mm. One of the... When you were reading Piper's quote tonight on wartime praying, mm-hmm. it's, it's a delicious quote, by the it way. Is. I love that word, delicious. It is a delicious quote. I'm in the camp that delicious should only be used for food, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and the word. Yeah, well, yes, but it is. Uh, it, it is a, it is good. I was thinking about. It, it reminded me of Deuteronomy 32, 35, which says, In due time, their foot shall slide. And this is the primary text that Jonathan Edwards used to preach sinners in the hands of an angry God. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's the probably the m- most famous sermon ever preached outside of... And most misunderstood by those who don't know the Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. And and what he actually is getting at in that sermon is the, the mercy, the just, the goodness of God available through the through through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the 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 reality that is we have all in due time their foot shall slide, that we are all sliding in a direction away from God. <clears throat> save his intervention in our life. And to the point of comfort, if we're not careful, we'll just get on that ice. You can hear a story? And just keep sliding. I'm a mm, sophomore, maybe, junior, I forget, in college, taking a um, Bible survey class because I thought I could do good in it. And this like super liberal 
denominational pastor guy's teaching it, and he's like, oh, it's just like literature, da 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 and so we get to this part, kind of sort of church history-ish, and there, he's railing on the like hellfire and brimstone of the Great Awakening kind of stuff and how people had this misunderstanding of God, and he was this tyrant that was just throwing people in hell. And, and the example to use is, like this sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'm like, you don't get it. You don't understand. Like... Uh, I, I hear you pulling a line or two from it, but have you ever listened to this sermon in its entirety? He's like, oh, yeah, many times. Who do you think you are, kid? You know, And I was like, can I tell you what it means? You got to go in front of class and say, it's like this. Imagine you have willfully walked out on the thin ice and under it is hell. Mm-hmm. And the only thing, and you are a sinner and God judges sin, and the hands that are holding you up in this very second right now, preventing you, from a life apart from Christ in an everlasting hell, is this God who is angry against sin and sinners. Mm-hmm. And he's holding you out of that mm-hmm. and gave a salvation invitation sophomore year of college. A couple of people got saved. I love it. Mm. Yeah, he was so mad at me. Mm. But that's it, people. Man, you want to talk about missing it, bro. Mm, no doubt. Right. It, it was a grace-filled sermon. Also, history tells us that Jonathan Edwards did not really preach it. He just read the thing monotone. Mm. He was moved by the Spirit of God to write it very reluctantly, stands in front of his church, head down, eyes down, reads it, and it sparks a revival like this country's never seen before. Mm. Yeah. And that's a good in regards to what do you do if you if I, I think countless numbers of people, all of us probably in some way or form or fashion, hear the word this weekend about comfort living in the culture that we live in and the place where we live and the time we live it should like kind of feel like hugging a cactus a little bit to 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 a lot of us you know what i mean like it's a little prickly and there's like some this is not necessarily the greatest thing ever uh on one hand on the other hand it's liberating it's freeing it is ephesians 5 wake up mm-hmm. and more than anything even though i may be lulled to sleep in places i want to be awake right i want to i want to be Walking in the full life of Jesus, and I know thousands of people in our church in our church that that's true of. So they welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit like a warm blanket. You know what I mean? For like sure. they're into it, and and I think that's going to be happening a lot uh, this weekend. And so the question would be: one of the ways to resist comfort is to repent of being lulled to sleep by comfort. You know what I mean? And again, let's like, re-give call it what it is and repent. J.R. Vassar definition of repent is that I I refuse to be, to be at peace with that sin any longer. That's it, man. I would say the question is not look at the good gifts that a good father gives you. I mean, we all three have sweet houses and cars to drive and food to eat, right? And full refrigerators and beautiful families. Okay. The the question is is what do you do with that? And if you begin to say, God, how can I leverage whatever this thing is that makes me comfortable? What, how can I leverage that for your glory? Do you know some lost people? Why don't you start leveraging your time to just be around them and say, God, would you, give, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Would you give me power when the Spirit comes upon me and let me be a witness? Mm-hmm. God will answer that prayer. Mm-hmm. 
began to leverage, ask, okay, God, I'm real comfortable in my house. Okay, I'm real comfortable. I like it. I like the couch. I like the TV. It's huge. I like my backyard. You know, all the things. All right, how can I now leverage this thing, not for my comfort, but for your kingdom? How can I leverage my job, which makes me very comfortable because it gives me my paycheck and I get to buy all the stuff. Okay, how can I leverage it for your kingdom? If we begin to just look at how can I leverage it, not for my comfort, but for your kingdom, then these good gifts of God are leveraged in his kingdom. And this is a big way of how you store up treasure for yourself in heaven because you're not treasuring your living room you're treasuring how God could leverage your living room to host a disciple group or invite your neighbors over. Whether you do a gospel presentation or you're at the very front end of building the relationship that one day they go, so tell me about this church thing or however it goes. Mm-hmm. That That's the difference, man. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. Yeah. These things are satisfaction and security. I love that he closes when he says when the disciples said, "How should we pray?" He he says, you know, he teaches them, and then at the end, it's "Your kingdom come, and your will be done." Um, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Because we're so prone to build our kingdom, trying to use our own power and trying to steal the glory for ourselves. So that's our struggle, right? To constantly look to him and to be about building his kingdom. Do you have any final words, pastors, about living in a, in a kingdom, living as a heavenly kingdom citizens and being about the work of building the kingdom? There's no greater joy on this planet. Amen. I don't know how to, I just don't know how to convince everybody that that is just where it's at. Yeah. When you build your own little kingdom built on you, man, mm. it's so fickle. It takes all your time, effort, energy, worry, because you feel like you got to like, always constantly hold it together and you know whatever your kingdom is whether it's the applause of man or a money thing or like your this pursuit of success and you got to posture yourself in front of the right people at the right time to get the next thing i mean it, oh my gosh it's it's mm. i mean exhausting it's miserable man mm. it's exhausting it is a weight that you just can't mm. bear right and it's a house built on shifting sand mm-hmm. and the wind comes and the waves come mm-hmm. and great is the fall of it mm. And then there is this this freedom and joy in realizing that you are a bit player in the epic saga that is the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And it's all up to him anyway, man. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can get out there and preach your face off and know that the the fruitfulness of it all is not in mm-hmm. whether I said all the words right or not, but it's up to him. And you can go to work tomorrow and say, all right, here I am, send me. And it crushes the ego like it, in all the right ways. Mm-hmm. It squishes out the insecurity because you're just going to work with your dad. It is the way we were created to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things, we've all experienced this, man. You go on this mission trip, right? Mm-hmm. Especially early on when you go on your first one, and you're pretty sure God's going to use you to do remarkable things for these poor, desolate people. And thank God he has you on his team mm-hmm. for you to go. Okay. And then you roll up and... Where have we been? Uganda, East Africa. Mm-hmm. And you see these people that have found the secret of being content in their mm. mud hut. I got to go get water every day, barely got enough food. And there is a, and it's crazy, man. You want to come home and like burn all your stuff because mm-hmm. you're strangely jealous, as you should be, mm-hmm. of this 
secret of being content no mm -hmm. matter the situation. They got it, man. Mm -hmm. They got it. Yeah. And it's not really a secret. Mm -hmm. The secret's out. His name is Jesus. Mm -hmm. When you live that way, it is the most satisfying thing you could do with your life. Amen. Well, why don't you pray, Pastor Joby, for anybody listening, watching, for the eyes to see that treasure for what it is, um, for the ability to seek after him with everything, and for the freedom and joy that you've talked about during the series. I mean, like, that is the heart of it. God wants us to experience freedom and joy living for him. Yeah, let's pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, would you grip us with a greater affection? Yes. For those that got gripped a long time ago, but somehow that affection has kind of waned, Lord, would you stir up? Would you fan the flame of that gift in us? Would you renew the, the joy of our salvation that we would be so consumed by you that we would not be consumers of this world? Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly. When we ask what you would have us do, you would be so clear that the next step would just be that of obedience to do what you told us to do. And Lord, we thank you that that, that is where joy is found because that is where you are. Mm -hmm. God, I pray that the, the chains of looking for temporary satisfaction, the chains of looking for the applause of man, the chains of just getting into the flow of this culture would just hit the ground mm -hmm. and that all of your children would walk in a freedom that you've already purchased for us. Mm -hmm. And in that, our strength would be found in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.